Good morning. Had a long week, and I, I think I've said this before, but I, it's, it's a great sign when I can't wait to get to church and see you all. And um, I just, I just love y'all. Y'all are just good people. I don't know you very long. I'm sure I won't like you after a while, but I like you now. <laughs> y'all are good people. I, I just, I don't know. I, I'm just excited to come to church, and that, that. I pray that never goes away. I, I think, what a joy and an honor it is that I get to be excited about my job. Um, I had family over this week. Um, every time I say in-laws, my wife's like, it's our family? Like, yeah, it's our family, that's right. Um, they, uh, we went to the aquarium. How many people have been to the aquarium? They go, oh, oh a lot. Mostly parents. Um, the... I'm told, this is just through the grapevine now, told that there was a couple in our church that got engaged there. I, I don't know if that's true. Guilty, Guilty the Clackums. Franklin popped the big question in front of the whale shark tank, am I right? <laughs> yes, he did. Okay. Well, Franklin, we went there, okay? And it's apparently, and the reason this is significant is because it's apparently the largest water tank with fish in the world. And you can and when you see it you, you, you could it's believable because it's massive and I've stood as I kind of went I was like hey baby babe, I think uh, Franklin proposed to Lydia around here. About that time, you know, everyone's looking for the whale shark because that's their big the promo, you know. There's there's little sharks, there's fish, but everybody's kind of you know, where is this beast? I mean, it's supposed to be the biggest fish in the world, apparently. And when you see it, you go, yeah, that's Pretty massive. You think it's a whale, I guess is where it gets its name because it's huge. I think it just it's one of those, it's so big it just opens its mouth and just catches fish. And about that time, all the kids are like, oh, and then just nonchalantly I have my daughter in my arms and she looks up and she goes, dad, dad. <laughs> so been working through what that means. Um, See, I thought Dada was like a term of like love and endearment, but apparently it means this foreboding figure that instills fear in the hearts of children. Um, but we had a good week, and I was with, I was filled, you know, it was really our first time having family over for a significant time. Um, and of course, uh, you know, we're going through the theme of love, and I, I kind of kept thinking to myself this week, do I love my church like I love my family? Because that's essentially what we talked about last week. Uh, and I can say that I did. Um, throughout First John, we've spent a lot of time on the theme of love. Love of the Father, love of the world, abiding love, love thy neighbor. First John is a book of love. That's one of its big themes, if not its biggest theme. In chapter 4, John finally tells us why he spends so much time on love. And the, the answer is pretty simple. God is love. And we're going to read that. In 1 John chapter 3, verse 14, John says that love is how we know whether we're dead or alive. We know that we passed out of death into life, John says, because we love the brothers. Whoever does not love abides in death. So I think that should bring us to ask this question this morning. How can I make sure I'm a loving person? If love is the mark of a true Christian, how do I make sure that I'm not just a Christian in name only? How can I make sure that I'm alive? How can I make sure that I have a spiritual pulse? I think everyone in here at some point in time would like when you die to be remembered as someone who was a loving person. 
And John would go so far as to say, if you're not remembered as a loving person when you die, there's a pretty good chance you're not in paradise with Christ. How can we make sure that there's love in our hearts? And so the answer to that question is my central theme this morning. It's also the title to my sermon. To love is to be loved. To love is to be loved. And we're going to unpack what that means. So if you will stand for the reading of God's Word. We're in 1 John chapter 4, verses 7 through 21. Beloved, let us love one another. For love is from God, and whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. Anyone who does not love does not know God, because God is love. In this the love of God was made manifest among us, that God sent His only Son into the world so that He might live through Him. In this is love, not that we have loved God, but that He loved us and sent His Son to be the propitiation for our sins. Beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. No one has ever seen God. If we love one another, God abides in us, and His love is perfected in us. By this we know that we abide in Him and He in us, because He has given us of His Spirit. And we have seen and testified that the Father has sent His Son to be the Savior of the world. Whoever confesses that Jesus is the Son of God, God abides in Him and He in God. So we have come to know and to believe the love of God has for us. God is love, and whoever abides in love abides in God, and God abides in him. By this is love perfected with us, so that we may have confidence for the day of judgment, because as he is, so also are we in this world. There is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear. For fear has to do with punishment, and whoever fears has not been perfected in love. We love because he first loved us. If anyone says, I love God, and hates his brother, he's a liar. For he who does not love his brother whom he has seen cannot love God whom he has not seen. And this commandment we have from him, whoever loves God must also love his brother. Let's pray. Lord, open our eyes and open our hearts so that we can first receive your love in the gospel of Jesus Christ, that in order we may then in turn go and love sinners um, who are in many ways unlovable. But Lord, you came and emptied yourself and forsook your own rights in order to love people who had no right being your children. And Lord, that's the love that abides in us. Let the power of the resurrection fuel my preaching this morning and let the power of the resurrection fuel our lives this week so that we can be people of love. And all these things we ask in your son's name, amen. When I was counseling a couple, it was one of my first couples I ever counseled, um, it lasted about four months, and the guy would never stop talking, and the wife never wanted to talk. Um, usually in counseling, it's the other way around. Um, and I remember it because it took me almost two months for her to really start talking. She didn't ever really want to give anything up. She never really wanted to open up. She was very, very guarded. And I remember after about two months, I finally broke through, the Lord broke through, and she started to trust me. And you could tell. And after we finished, about four months in, we kind of looked back at our, at our time together, and I just, just had to ask her, I said, you know, why, why did you not trust me? 
Why, why did your husband, why was he so trusting? And I, of course, I kind of knew the answer because we'd walked through a lot of that. She was the one who had trust issues. They both had trust issues, but she really did. I said, why did you not trust me? Why did it take you like two months to crack the egg? And she said something like, she said, I, I knew that you loved me. I said, I said what? She said, well, I started, love, I started trusting you when I knew that you loved me. And I didn't really get that at first because it was a strong statement. I mean, I, yes, I love her, but it was really talking about the whole point of us meeting was so that she could love her husband better. And it occurred to me, for this enti- woman's entire life, the only love she ever knew from men was men wanting to get something from her. Her entire life, the only people who ever were kind to her wanted her for her body, for things they could, that she could give them. And it was really sad because she had put up a wall her entire life thinking that the only reason people are nice to her or kind to her is because they want something from her. And so because of that, her view of the gospel was naturally skewed. The world says, I will love you so that you can love me back. The gospel says, I will love you because I am love. That's what God says. At the heart of the gospel is God's unconditional love for sinners. It's not conditional. It's not quid pro quo love, what we're going to talk about. If I had to break down John's argument in verses 7 through 8, I think it would go something like this. God is love, therefore all love is from God, therefore whoever loves must be born of God. John says, whoever loves has been born of God and knows God, which tells me something. It tells me that knowing God is a lot more than just knowing about God. Knowing God is an intimate, heart-changing thing. You hear a lot of people go, well, it's just about a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. And they're right. But a personal relationship with Jesus Christ, when we say that, what we're also saying is to know Jesus is to be changed by Jesus. You cannot be saved without being changed. When I was in high school, before I got baptized, before I got saved, I was a good kid. I was really polite. I obeyed my parents. I was a really good friend. I was a really good student. No one could have looked at me and gone, man, that's a really bad kid. By all accounts, anyone who knew me, I was a good kid. And here's the truth. I was a child of Satan because I was incapable of doing anything good without doing it for myself first. I was worshiping myself. No one else could see it. But simply because I made all A's and I obeyed my parents and I said yes sir and no sir did not make me a good person. I was a child of Satan and I needed a new heart. I think there's a misconception that there are good people who aren't Christians and that's a lie. If whoever loves has been born of God, that means Christians are the only people on earth who are capable of loving. Because, of course, we are the only ones who know a God who is love. Let me restate that another way. That means when people come across Christians, they should instantly feel out and sense that we are loving people because, of course, if they don't meet a Christian ever again, that's the last time they're going to ever come in contact with real love. You cannot be a lost person 
and a loving person. And you cannot be saved without being changed. This brings us back to our question. How can we make sure that we're loving people? If salvation means transformation, how can we check our hearts to make sure we're abiding in love? Verses 9 through 12, John defines what true love is and how to get it. Verse 9. In this the love of God was made manifest among us, that God sent His only Son into the world so that we might live through Him. In this is love. Not that we have loved God, but that He loved us and sent His Son to be the propitiation for our sins. Beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. No one has ever seen God. If we love one another, God abides in us, and His love is perfected in us. To love is to be loved. I hear sermons sometimes where the, the pastor, the preacher, will give a 30-minute, 40-minute sermon on how to love thy neighbor, but something's missing. It's the gospel. And I, I, there's no excuse for that. There's no excuse for me to stand up before you and give waste 30 minutes or 40 minutes of your time telling you to leave here to love thy neighbor and not give you the very source and the power and the fuel to love other people, and that's the gospel of Jesus Christ. If I give you a command to love thy neighbor, but I don't, I don't announce and declare the gospel to you, I'm just returning you to the old covenant. I'm giving you a command, but I'm not giving you the fuel to do so. To love is to be loved. Step one of being a loving person is by receiving the love of Jesus. To be a loving person, you must look to the loving person. The only way to abide in love and grace in this world is to bask in the love and grace of our Lord. This principle exists everywhere. Raise your hand if you went to school when you were a kid with that one kid who was like a really terrible... I mean, he was just... It could be a she, I don't know. How many of you, raise your hand, if you knew that kid who had a terrible home life and then they just came to school and they were just... They basically just dished out what they received at home. This principle exists everywhere. They weren't loving because why? They weren't receiving love. And I'm going to tell you all, that doesn't just exist in elementary school. Okay. That happens with adults. The only people capable of loving, the, the only people capable of knowing what true love is are people who have received love. So there, by extension, as Christians, we're the only ones who know what true love is, so we're the only ones who know how to love people. Love isn't like lighting a match where God expects us to just start fanning the flame for ourselves. No, love is like a reservoir of water that only fills up when it's got living water going in it. I think too many of us just kind of walk out going, I need, a, I need to be a loving person today. You want to start loving someone today? You want to start loving someone tomorrow? Read the gospel of Jesus Christ today. I think there's a misconception that Christianity is basically Jesus doing this for you, so you have to do this for Him in return. That's, that's an incomplete view of the gospel. There's one word in verse 9 that's pretty important. I want to read it. This is verse 9. In this the love of God was made manifest among us, that God sent His only Son into the world so that we might live through Him. 
Not that we might love Him back, not that we might return the thanks, so that we might actually live through Him. Christian love is not quid pro quo love. It's not, you scratch my back, I'll scratch yours, Jesus. No, Christian love is Christ breathing His love into you, breathing His life into you. If you are not a Christian, if you are not born again, if you have not been changed by Christ, you don't have a spiritual pulse. There are no good people who are not saved. That really, like, a lot of y'all are going, wow, that's... Because we all know that person that doesn't know Jesus, but they do good things for people. But the truth of the gospel is that unless you're changed, even the good things you want to do are done to yourself. People who are not changed are idolaters. This is why we must be born again. To love is to be loved. In verse 10, John says, In this is love, not that we've loved God, but that He loved us and sent His Son to be the propitiation for our sins. God initiated this relationship. God sustains this relationship. And the concept of propitiation is at the core of John's definition of love. I know we've talked about it before. Some of you all might... I think, well, that's a really big word. Propitiation, at the heart of propitiation is the concept that Christ averted the wrath of God by serving as our substitute and taking our place and paying our debt. He satisfied the demands of God's justice. Basically, propitiation is penal substitutionary atonement. Paying a price, the one that we owed, instead of paying it in hell, Christ took it on the cross. I was telling a story, speaking to uh, some folks not too long ago about Kelly and I's marriage the first two or three years. Eh, no. It's always been a rocky road. Kelly and I have faced a lot in our marriage. i got to be careful because she's listening. But the first year of our marriage was like, man, really tough, wasn't it? She's about to amen on that one. I mean, it was tough. It was really hard. I mean, I just, I really think that I was given, in some ways, and no one to blame but myself, but I think in a lot of ways I was fed a false conception of marriage. I think I, think, I, think I grew up, I think definitely Kelly grew up, thinking that it was like we walk out and we're like on a yellow brick road. <laughs> I walked out and I was like, where are we at? And um, I was telling this story to a church about how hard things got. I mean, cancer here, miscarriage there, fights there, medical stuff. I was full-time student, working nights. Kelly, I mean, it was just, Kelly hated her job. I hated my job. We've all, I hope, I think all of us have been there at one point. Amen? I mean, somebody look back at your marriage and be like, man, those years were tough. You know, now I look back in the grace of God and I say, thank God. I hope that you can do the same. But it doesn't mean those wounds aren't still there. I was telling this story about how God was faithful to us even when we were faithless to Him. Because that's the theme of our marriage, is God being faithful to us and loving us when we are so faithless. I mean, that just it just goes back to the grace and glory of Christ. And I'm trying to convey this, and I'll get done, and this, 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 this woman comes to me after the little message, and she said, I just, want, I just want to tell you, the reason God 
was faithful to you is because you were obedient to him. And I said, no, ma'am. And I don't usually do that to, to older folks, but I said, you, I said, you have completely missed the whole point of what I just said. That's quid pro quo. That's, I'm obedient to God, He'll give me this. I said, that was a, that's the whole, you just missed the point. The whole point was, I smacked of disobedience, I wasn't loving my life well, I wasn't even a good employee, I was a terrible Christian, and He loved me even then. That's the point. Wasn't my obedience. I was obedient. I finally learned obedience because of His grace. I love now because He loved me. That's the point. What John says is not, we love in order that He may love us. It's, we love because He first loved us. He initiated. He came in and roasted the, that fire. I mean, I just, I have no fire in my heart to love people unless I'm kindled by the gospel. I didn't get like, wasn't that loud with her. <laughs> How many of you know a person who's only nice to you when you're nice to them? Come on now. Raise them up. You know, I was joking. You all should raise your hands. Everyone knows that person. That's the way the world loves. That's the love of the world. I would go so far as even to say this. That's the only way the world knows how to love. That's quid pro quo love. And it's the only kind of love you're going to get from the world. It's like that young woman in the counseling session. The only kind of conception of love she had her whole life was, what do you want? Y'all ever trying to do that with your wife? You're like loving her and she's like, do you want something? No, I'm trying to, she's trying to love on you. Yeah, right. It's, that's, the, that's worldly love. It's okay, what do you want from me? Imagine Jesus just saying, look, this is from the beginning, I'm just going to die for you. Say, what? That's why the gospel still works. That's why the gospel will always work. That's why people will always believe in Jesus even when they have no worldly reason to is because the love of Jesus is still incredible. The world has nothing to face with it because the world hasn't found anything that compares to it. When you love someone and give them something or are kind to them for no other reason but that you love them, that will make heads turn, y'all. The world says, I'll be nice to you when you're nice to me. Christians say, I'll love you for no other reason than that God loved me. When people treat us like dirt, we treat them like image bearers of God. If we treat others with contempt who treat us with contempt, if we're cold to those who are cold to us, if we're incapable of being loving in the face of hostility, the love of God doesn't abide in us and we don't know God. Verse 11, Beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. Months and months and months ago, I was talking to another pastor complaining about a friend of mine. Key word on complaining. And he goes... Have you prayed for them? No. That's why I'm talking to you. I don't want to pray for them. 
you know, it takes something incredible, y'all. Y'all know as well as I do, it takes something incredible to pray for someone you don't like. But here's, 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 here's the, just the, 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 the awesome thing about it, is not only does it take God to do that and prompt that, but after you pray for someone, you start liking them. Your heart softens. Think about the person in your mind right now who just cut you off like they did at, my, at the mall last weekend. 17-year-old girl, little poor, she goes, she's like, I'm like, here I am, like 31, minivan, she's, you know, I was like, you know. God love her, please. <laughs> but seriously, think about that person that is hard to love and then pray for them. And watch God do a work on your heart. Loving people means walking away from a difficult situation and praying for the person who just insulted you to your face. If you're not able to do that, John says the love of God doesn't abide you and you may not even know God. In verse 13, John briefly switches from talking about love to talking about the Spirit. But he's not talking about two different things because I believe that when John talks about love, he's talking about the power of the Holy Spirit. According to John, the Holy Spirit serves us in two primary ways. He brings us to confess the love of Jesus and He brings us to love with the love of Jesus. So a Spirit-filled person is not necessarily a person speaking in tongues and dancing. A Spirit-filled person is a people-loving, God-loving, Jesus-confessing person. When we think about the work of the Holy Spirit, see, I think we do this because I do this sometimes. When we hear Holy Spirit, we think church. But the Holy Spirit is out there. The Holy Spirit doesn't just care about the way you worship here. The Holy Spirit desires to know and to influence and to affect and to change the way that you talk to your coworkers. The Holy Spirit wants to affect the way you talk to your wife. The Holy Spirit cares about the way you run your business. Living according to the Spirit means abiding in love in all areas of our life because the Spirit wants to change the things under which the, that Christ is Lord over. So if Christ is Lord over your entire life, your entire life will ooze out love because your entire life is breathing out the Spirit. But quid pro quo love isn't love. That's okay. Don't raise your hand, but I hear I hear a lot of this uh, as pastor. It's amazing how many times people come into my office, and they're not talking about how someone they didn't know hurt them. They're not talking about how even a friend hurt them. I would say most people who come into my office with a damaged heart are talking about how their family hurt them incredible I hear stories constantly about overbearing fathers and passive aggressive mothers and paying wrongs with wrongs and just blackmailing and people who won't come to certain birthdays and all that that's quid pro quo love that's worldly love Jesus died to destroy that love y'all that's not love. That's law masking itself as love. 
The next time you want to, and here's the thing, I'm just, I'm going to be honest with you. This is me. This is your pastor going to step out. I'm not someone, my, my fleshly tendency is not to come at you when you do something to me. Mine's just to go, okay, fine, whatever. Boycott. I could be giving you the cold shoulder, you don't even know it. The cold shoulder. I'm going to tell you this, the cold shoulder sometimes in your heart is as bad as lipping off somebody in their face because your heart hates them. They're nothing to you. When you write someone off, when you boycott someone, when you say to yourself in your heart, I'm writing them off and I'm going to avoid them and I don't care about what they do, what they say, as long as they're away from me, when you have that attitude in your heart, what you're saying is, they're not worth my time and they're not worth the blood of Jesus. I really came to terms with this because there are people in this life that you are just, you're going to have to avoid. But physically avoiding someone doesn't mean that your heart doesn't stretch out to them in prayer and in love. Paul says in Romans 12, in as much as possible. I mean, there are some people you're just not going to be able, in your families, sometimes you will not be able to live at peace with people. But that doesn't mean that you don't do everything that's physically possible within the power of Jesus to love them and, and will for them to be loved. And that's hard. 1 Corinthians chapter 13, verse 4 through 5. Franklin just read it. Love is patient and kind. Love does not envy or boast. It is not arrogant or rude. It does not insist on its own way. It is not irritable or resentful. In other words, love takes on the characteristics of a man dying on the cross. God has invited you unto a life of self-emptying, self-sacrificing love. And I'm going to tell you, just be honest with you, that, that can be hard sometimes in a country and in a time we live in where everybody's fixed on their rights. That's my right. Yeah, but this is my right. No, see, you just violated my rights. That's hard because it's a double-edged sword. We live in a country where our rights are defended, thank God. You can thank us meeting right now. But when you step out that door, you live in the name of a God who forsook His own rights in order to give Himself completely to you. I mean, you want to talk about rights now. There are no more ironclad deserving rights than a God who dwells in heaven perfectly happy, perfectly joyful and says, you know what, I could lead these people to go to hell. But he didn't do that. Don't take me to be a bad American. But sometimes as an American and a Christian, I don't feel so American. If you know what I'm saying? Because Christ freely and graciously took our judgment, I am free and I have the power today to freely and graciously love people that have no business being loved. We love people not based upon what they've done to us. We love people based upon what Christ did for us. I want to end with these three verses. By this is love perfected with us, so that we may have confidence for the day of judgment, because as He is, so also are we in this world. 
There is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear. For fear has to do with punishment, and whoever fears has not been perfected in love. We love because He first loved us. My favorite part in that passage is when he says, As He is, so also are we in this world. Because we're children of God, because we're loved unconditionally by the Father, because Christ gave Himself for us, we live not fearing anyone or anything the world can throw at us today. The church is indestructible because Christians are fearless people. Because we're built on the cornerstone. The perfect love of Jesus cast out our fear of condemnation because we have the power and the freedom now because Christ has not only paid our debt, but we've been raised in newness of life. We love because He loved us. I think if I had to find like a handful of verses that just sum up the gospel, that would would be one. To love is to be loved by Jesus. So I want to end with this. If you know some person who has hurt you, if you know some person who you've just kind of written off in your mind, I'm not even going to have anything to do with them, I might throw them a prayer at Christmas. If you know someone whose entire aim is either to hurt others or to hurt you, someone who's left you deeply wounded, someone who you, in your mind, believe is incapable of loving, it's because they haven't received the love of Jesus is why. Why do we keep trying to fill cups that can't be filled? If someone's heart is empty, it's because they haven't received the good news of Jesus. And it's only then that we can expect people to act like Christians until they've received Jesus. I'm not going to end this sermon this morning with, all right, guys, go out and love. Go out and be loving people. I'm going to give you a benediction and y'all go be loving people. Now, let's put our loving hats on and go love. I'm not going to do that. What am I going to end with? Come on, think about what I've just been talking about. I'm going to end with the gospel. Because I'm going to give you the source and the power because God has given us the source and the power to love unlovable people because when we receive Jesus, we receive the Holy Spirit and now we have the ability to love unlovable people. Jesus became nothing and gave His life for sinners. Let that be your joy and your power and your incentive to love people. Because we are loved, we will love. Let's pray. Gracious Heavenly Father, Lord of all,